Hello and welcome to the Crop It Like It's Hot podcast brought to you by Arable Farming Magazine and the Crop Tech Show and sponsored by Yara, the Crop Nutrition Company. I'm Alice Dyer, your host, and today we're going to be looking at future-proofing your arable business. And just a quick reminder, as always, you can claim a CPD point for tuning into this podcast by emailing your basis account number plus the name of the podcast to cpd at basis-reg.co.uk. Now, on today's show, we're going to be taking a careers focus. Getting started in farming or forming a career in the field is notoriously tricky, particularly if you aren't from a farming background. But there are many ways you can still be your own boss in the arable sector, and we're going to hear about some of those today. So in this episode, we're going to hear advice on farm tenancies, setting up your own contracting business, and why becoming a qualified agronomist could give you a step up the career ladder. But my first guest on today's show had a complete change of career in his 30s, going from being in the army to undertaking the Velcourt training programme. Johnny Kerr now finds himself as farm manager on a 1,000 hectare arable farm in Wiltshire. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Alice. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Now, your parents had farming in their blood, but you didn't grow up on a farm. So did you ever consider farming as a career option when you were younger? I wanted to be a farmer when I was really young because, you know, when you're, I don't know, five or six, like my boys now, they play with tractors and combines on the carpet. Yeah. This is cool. Um, But then I can't remember when, at some point when I was a boy, it's sort of inevitable. You think, well, I can't, you know, the only people that farm are the people who are farmers. You know, you have to be a farmer to farm. So you have to be a farmer's son. Um, So that was my perception of farming at a young age so I um I don't know why but my other (laughs) my other passion was as a young kid was um soldiering so I guess just playing guns in the garden or something yeah (laughs) so I thought well um and I so yeah I don't uh, yeah my very very early on I just wanted to be in the army it was as simple as that you know all through school whenever we could do I think I was probably about 15 when you start doing cadets at school um, and carried on when I was at university with the officer training corps um, and then you know just followed a very well trodden path to Sandhurst and then to the army. So um, what did you what did you study at uni? I studied electronics it didn't really fit into anything at all um, <laughs> I just did it because I think my you know people of my age group were all there was quite a change, like probably in the Tony Blair years, there was quite a change in education policy and they just pushed as many people to university as possible. Yeah. But I was, I was doing general engineering to start with and that was purely because of my interest at A-level were maths and physics and design. Okay, and then you spent nine years in the army, so one year at Sandhurst, eight years in service. So how have you got to where you are now? When I was leaving the army... I was kind of listening to my head and my heart, and my head was saying, <laughs> go and get a job that pays the bills. But my heart was just saying, you'll go nuts if you do that. You need to... The, I guess the same reasons I joined the army was that I just want to be outside, I want to be working with people, I want to be working with a situation that's quite unpredictable, maybe, that sort of job. So, you know, for me, it just seems like a, the parallels between the army and, and farming are quite obvious so I just thought well can I do that I don't know I thought surely farming is just for farmers it's you can't just go and be a farmer that's a ridiculous idea but I spoke to a mate um who is a farmer a guy I was at school with and he said um have a look at Velcourt um so whilst I was still in the army at my desk um in Canterbury I just googled Velcourt and, and it went it was just brilliant it went from there I looked at their their website and looked at their careers and career paths and there were a few um, kind of examples of what people had done and the management training scheme and various jobs they'd done with Velcourt and I thought this is fantastic this is um, this is surely there's going to be opportunity in there but I thought maybe um, I would be a, a slightly different recruit and I don't know if they would um, take to me but but thankfully they did so um, so yeah that's how I got into it. You enrolled in the um, one year farming course at Sirencester is that right? Yeah, I did a postgraduate course at Sirencester called the Graduate Diploma in Agriculture, or GDA, Yeah. Um, 
and I'd look, I went to an open day at Sirencester to look at the, all their postgrad courses, and you know they from from an MBA to an MSc to the GDA that I ended up doing, and there were various other courses available, and I thought, well, um, I guess my military head on, I thought, well, the the GDA to me sounded like the the kind of the the more hands on frontline type um, course that would would prepare me well for actually being on farm day to day and managing whatever that throws at you, whether it be machinery, budgets, um, people, crops, livestock, that sort of thing. So I, I, yeah, I did the GDA, which was a a one year course at Siren. And how did you find that? Because I would imagine if you didn't have, you know, a, a really strong knowledge of agriculture that maybe going and doing um, a course at that level might be quite hard or did you find that it sort of catered for someone that wasn't necessarily um, had a really strong background in farming yeah it did my my perception was the same I, I didn't know when I applied for the GDA and, and thankfully got the place and, and started I did think to myself I don't know where I'm going to fit in in terms of my limited knowledge of farming um, I mean, I'd done some harvests before I joined the army, so I kind of had a, a bit of an idea, but not much. Um, but thankfully, there's a really broad church of people that do the GDA um, of all ages and all backgrounds. And, and um, plus, I guess, it being just a bit older and wiser, I suppose, and having had a, a life in the army as a you know professional army officer, um, I had the discipline and motivation to sit down and do my own reading around the subject, which is something I was terrible at when I was an undergraduate. Yeah, I think honest. when you're younger, uh, it's it's a bit yeah. harder to do that, especially when there's so many distractions. Yeah, exactly. So I think the GDA, yeah, it was there was a lot to take in, um, and the course was challenging, um, but it was it was very doable. So it was simply I just did the hours. Um, made sure I got into the library, um, which is probably, again, something I didn't do at all when I was an undergraduate. Um, and just, yeah, just sort of, you know, if I didn't understand something, I'd I'd either talk to lecturers or go and do my own research um, and made sure that I um, understood whatever it was I needed to understand to move forward. Yeah. yeah. So after you graduated, did you then apply for the Velcourt training scheme? Yeah, so I'd... Um, whilst I was at Sciencester, um, I carried on my sort of research into Velcourt and how how it might work. And, and the key thing was finding somebody at Velcourt who dealt with recruiting and training. Right. Um, and I was with, yeah, I had one intro, an introduction with a, a director um, where, you know, I sent him my CV and had a bit of a chat on the phone and then went to actually have an interview with him. He then um, arranged a meeting for me a few weeks later with a, um, a chap called Nick Shorter, who's who's now my boss. He's the director for the South um, in, within Velcourt, and he also deals with recruiting and training. Um, so I had a, an interview with Nick a few weeks later, um, and really I started to feel like I was, you know, making some progress and thinking that actually this is this could be possible. Actually, I thought to myself it's all well and good going to science center to do the gda um but will somebody like velcourt take it seriously will they look at someone who's just spent nine years in the army and has a little bit of experience farming will they perhaps it's a bit of bit of a risk it's a bit different i don't know um but thankfully nick was um you know imaginative and forward thinking and just thought yeah this is possible it's it's a challenge for both of us um but we can we can do it um so Nick was Nick sort of said he'd let me know if there were harvest jobs. I mean, there are plenty of harvest jobs at Belcourt, but whether there would be a harvest job near me from where where I was living at the time near Sirencester. Um As it turns out, I managed to find a job um, on a farm outside of Belcourt. Um So I did a, a harvest on a um, a farm near Sirencester. Um and then again, I just sort of kept in touch with Nick and with Belcourt and. Um, eventually, thankfully, I mean, I thought surely Velcourt's big enough with plenty of opportunity 
surely sooner or later an opportunity will present itself, which it did. Um, and so I went for a third interview with a, another director um, and then from there managed to get a job as an assistant manager. Okay, so how exactly does the training scheme work? Some of our listeners might might not be too familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the training scheme um, is conducted whilst you're in full-time employment as a trainee manager or as an assistant manager. Um, and it's typically run through the winter, the quieter months for, for farming, especially arable farming. Um, and it's it's a case of doing a day's training every every week or so. Um, so when I did it, it's I mean it's constantly evolving um, training scheme and changing. But when I did it five six years ago, whenever it was, um, it was a case of through the winter months, predominantly going to um, somewhere in the country um, and meeting up with the other trainee managers and one of the directors or one of the agronomists and doing a day's training um, which would be either crop production or machinery management or budgeting and velcro procedures um, that sort of thing so it um, I suppose it's a bit modular but um, it took yeah once you've gone through the whole thing you've probably done something like 16 or 17 days training and it it fits in well with you know you're going to do a day's training whether it be say agronomy training and then you go back to the farm you work on um, and you can talk to the farm manager who you work for and talk about what you've learned on your training scheme sessions um, and see it for real. And the, the farm manager can obviously um, add some meat to the bones, I suppose, for, from what you're doing on the training scheme. Yeah, I suppose you benefit from the theoretical side of things and the practical side of things really tied in together at the same time, which I guess at uni you don't necessarily get because it's bit more classroom based yeah it's probably yeah exactly that i think you know at university there's a huge amount of classroom time and theory and a small amount of practical whereas velcro's probably the other way around where there's a huge amount of practical work um and then there's the theory throughout the training scheme um um so yeah it does it works very well and actually i thought the the training, the Velcro training scheme was a really good progression from my course at Sirencester. So it was literally like I did the course at Sirencester, which took me from zero to to a graduate, and yeah. then the training scheme then took me from exactly that position and and took me forward. Yeah. Obviously, you learnt a lot of skills in the army. What skills would you say, or you found, are transferable from the army into farming now? Um, so there's certainly an element to both jobs that is simply about coordinating um, events and coordinating resources. Um, there's a you know in in the military and in farming there's a plan where you want to achieve something and there's a way to achieve that or there's probably several ways to do it. So you need a bit of imagination and a bit of um, teamwork to talk to other people and discuss ideas, come up with a plan, make a decision, and then resource and coordinate that plan. And then <laughs> probably the attract what attracts me to farming and similar to the military is that the old military saying is that no plan survives contact, <laughs> which means you make a plan and then you go and execute it. And as soon as you step off the helicopter or step out of wherever, you <laughs> the, the enemy change everything and the plan goes out the window and you have to be imaginative and think quickly and farming is exactly the same the weather changes yeah definitely time um or machines break down or something changes and you have to be as long as you can maintain i think the military is very good at teaching its people especially its officers that you might have an end state or a goal which is fixed but the way to get to that goal can completely change and that's the dynamic bit and that's when you need imagination and you need, I suppose, confidence and knowledge and experience to be able to say, right, this is all completely changed because of the weather or because of machinery breakdowns, but we're still going to achieve what we set out to do. We're just doing it in a different way. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think there's, there's plenty of that in military training. Um, and I was lucky enough, or unlucky enough, if you ask my mum, to, to be in the army when there was loads of operational tours. So we were 
doing a lot of training, but we're also doing it for real and putting into practice, which is, you know, it's sort of a totally unique experience. But I'd like to think that I can kind of bring that to Velcourt and bring it to farming as a wider industry as, um, as you know, as a different um, head or a different vision of um, of another career that can perhaps plug into farming and, and bring some different ideas. Yeah, and th- yeah, I think that's probably what farming needs as well—a bit of a. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, final question: If you had one tip for a young person or an old person looking to maybe have a complete career change like you did, what would it be? Um, I think it would be to back yourself um, and believe in it in yourself and believe it can be done. Um, it's it can seem, especially at the beginning, it can seem almost impossible and ridiculous. Um, and I think that's the thing that needs to change about farming is this perception that it's a bit of a, a clique, perhaps, and it's for, it's for a certain group of people, and I'm not one of those people. That's not true. Um, and so I think if you can convince yourself that's not true, but you can also back yourself and believe in yourself to... To, to learn whatever it is that can get you into that into that club then set about you know get about doing it and learning it and gaining the experience and it's tricky it's very very difficult because you need to really get like we were talking about earlier you can do as much theory as you like but the, the best thing you can do is actually get on a farm yeah. and and do it for real and very quickly you'll learn so much more by doing it and experiencing it but it's just, you know, it's very difficult to get on a farm, especially if you, if you don't, if you haven't, you know, when you were 15 and 16, you were driving tractors, that's great. And by the time you're 25, you will have naturally just followed a, a progression. Whereas if you're already 25 and you've never driven a tractor, it's difficult and you just have to believe that you can do it. I don't see why I can't. If you could teach a 25-year-old to drive a car, then you can teach them to drive a tractor. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, I think, because there's, I think there's a lot of young people that would really love to get into farming, but they don't really know how. But And there's also yeah. a lot of farmers that would love more young people or new blood to come in, but yeah. it's just closing that gap, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, I know from my own experience as a manager with Velcourt that we we take people on in the summer to help in the busy time of harvest um and yes there's we can put some time aside and we do put time aside for training particularly for health and safety reasons but but also to push and learn you know get people to learn more and and develop themselves because it helps our business um you know it helps the farm for that harvest but it could potentially help Belcourt in the long run but we don't have um in uh, you know an infinite amount of time it's we've only got a bit of time so we need people to have experience yeah. and to turn up on day one and you can you you know you can show them around the farm and you can put them through a um, health and safety briefing and and so that they're ready to work for you but you you don't really have time to take someone um who's completely green and and start on you know lesson one of a tractor um so it's difficult i can see it as an employer um but you know we need to as an industry we need to somehow do something about that so that people can you know can show up you know you could if you wanted to go and be a a plumber or something or an electrician you can go to plenty of places where they'll they'll take you on no matter what age you are and and start on lesson one day one and off you go yeah and i think i think farming as an industry needs to make sure that they've got the, the same setup so that if someone has a change of heart or a change of lifestyle, then then they can do it. They can. There's a hell of a lot of talent out there, and if all the other industries are, have a route in, then all that talent will go to those other industries. Yeah, that's very true. There's some good advice and definitely some food for thought there as well. Thanks, Johnny. No problem. Thanks, Alice.
Now for our next guest, I've got 28-year-old Harriet Ross from Aberdeenshire. She and her partner Ben took on a 160-hectare arable farm tenancy in 2019 and she's going to tell us how they balance their day jobs with running a farm and what she's learnt along the way. Hi Harriet. Hi. How are you doing? All good? I'm good, thank you. Yes, yeah, yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Getting a bit bored of lockdown now. I know. <laughs> what can <laughs> and you do? winter, I'm just ready for spring. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great combo, is it? <laughs> so you're from a farming background, but your partner Ben isn't. So did you pursue a career in ag initially? Not, not really. Um, yeah, I was. I did grow up on the family farm, but I went um, and did environmental geography at uni, um, and then I sort of went away for a year and sort of did a bit of a gap year down south um, and then I helped with SAC who's sort of a consulting company you know um, throughout Scotland and yeah. cultural consulting company and um, yeah I worked with them just temporary to help them with um, I work um, in the springtime and then they offered me a full-time job so I sort of fell into that role I suppose as the agricultural consultant um, and then I worked for them for three years and then I moved to Strutton Parker so Ben's from East Lothian and I'm Aberdeenshire so we sort of met in the middle in Perth um, and I started my job with Strutton Parker so I was a farming consultant with them still am uh, for the past two years I've been working with them and then so I sort of cover the whole of Scotland um, and then we've moved back up north. We were only down in Perth for maybe nine months. Uh, and then, yeah, got the opportunity of the farm up here. Um, so, yeah, luckily our, our jobs allowed us to move up as well. So, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Ben, yeah, well, Ben's an agronomist with Agribista. So he's he's been there basically since um, he left uni. He went, he did uh, agriculture at SRUC in Edinburgh. Uh, and then went straight went straight to work for um, Agrovista. After that, he sort of was there, went into their sort of their graduate trainee scheme, um, and has worked his way up since then. Okay, so did you guys know that you wanted to maybe take on a farm one day, or did the opportunity arise and you just thought, let's go for it? Yeah, I think I think both. We we thought, yeah, we would have liked to thought that we would be farming eventually. Um, Ben's not from that from the farming background, so it's it's always been a dream of his to to get that opportunity. And he did try a couple of times down in East Lothian, um, you know, for tenancies or for you know even just you know contract farming sort of arrangements and those sort of things. But then we saw the opportunity up here, um, and it's only five miles from my mum and dad's farm, so we thought that you know maybe somehow we could make it work um, and we would give it a go. <laughs> um, didn't really think that we would get it because there's other, you know, local farmers that are quite big, well-established businesses that we knew, we knew we'd go for it. Because um, yeah. it's not often that you get sort of ring-fenced 400 acres. They don't come up that often, the, the, the tenancies anyway. Yeah. Um, so we thought, yeah, it was just an opportunity too good to not try at least so that's what we did managed to somehow get it (laughs) and how did you find the process of you know applying for the tender bank funding and all things like that and have you got any tips for our listeners maybe I mean yeah I sort of do it through work so I'm always looking at you know sort of budgets and things so that that for me was a big you know we were very lucky in that sense that you know when we went got asked to come for an interview we knew the figures inside out and I think for anybody you know um thinking about it they need to know their figures um you know it makes you a bit more relaxed in the meeting you know in the interview and yeah it just you just come across that you know you know you can make it work um and they it's all about trust I suppose when you're when you're trying to get a landlord's trust um you know that you can pay the rent that you can you know, look after the place, um, you know, leave it in a better condition than what you found it sort of thing. Um, so I think that was a big 
a big tick um, for us. Um, and just, I think, talk to people as well. So we, 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 went, we went into the interview. Once we knew we had an interview, we sort of went into it we, with letters from banks and solicitors, um, you know, just to try and back us up a bit and actually make sure that we could do it you know, physically have, you know, that working capital overdraft allowance um, that allowed us to, yeah, start farming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which was, yeah, it was quite scary, um, but we, we've we managed to get there. Yeah, I guess yeah. if you act confident, then other people see that confidence and then it gives them confidence. Yeah, and, well, I think we're very lucky as well with our landlord that, you know, they've actually had the guts as well to back you know a new entrant and you know younger generation um so yeah it's a bit it's a bit of both it's the mindset of the landlord as well yeah um, yeah as well so they they need to you know we're a bit more risky than established business yes um so they've got to be willing to take that risk a bit as well so i think it's yeah it's both ways isn't it yeah so how do you find balancing your day job with the farm and same for Ben really because that must be quite a challenge at times yes no it is we, we rely quite a bit on contractors on the farm um, and we have tried to keep it quite a simple setup so we're mainly arable um, so at busy times of the year like all the spring work we get contractors to do because Ben and I are busy with our jobs Yeah. Um, and sort of harvest time is a quiet time for our for our jobs off farm because uh, farmers don't want to be pestered at harvest yeah. time so so we you know we take holidays then to you know get harvest done at home um so that works in quite well and then over winter you know things aren't really doing much in the field um, and then we can you know sit in meetings and you know sort of plan our year for our jobs um over winter and um, so it does you know they do complement each other and i think that was also a big a big plus as well when we were trying to get the tenancy that we had a bit of a secured income coming in yeah you know, it, it, it wasn't just a bit of a you know finger in the air um you know there was that uh, both of our wages coming in which was you know a, a good thing as well um yeah and i think just you know we we, we have b&b pigs and that was just sort of to use the shed space it was an old dairy um, so we're just trying to, you know, justify all the sheds, and that works well as well. You know, we can do that at nights. They're pretty, you know, they don't take a lot of our time. Um, you know, just checking them, make sure they've got feed and water. The, the big time is mucking them out. We have them for six weeks, six seven week cycles, and um, so they're all in, all out. So we thought, you know, that was good. We didn't need to allocate time for drafting out fat pigs or anything we just um you know know our days when they're going away so we can plan that around you know work as well um and we know days that they're coming in so yeah that seems to work really well and it you know it gives us muck and things to put back on the the um arable side so we're very much we want to yeah sort of close the loop and you know make our arable business as sustainable as possible and you know we don't really want our have the money or maybe the time to invest in our own livestock that see yeah. as a very important side to the business um so yeah that's how basically we work and we work you know we work closely with my mum my and dad's farm as well so we so we share some machinery with them um you know we've we've bought a new combine between you know both sort of businesses sort of a joint venture okay. um, so so we went and, you know, spoke to local farmers and just thought, you know, if we can go out and get some contracting work with the combine, um, then we can maybe justify it. So, yeah, we're lucky to have, you know, double the acreage of what we cut uh, to sort of ju- justify the combine. Yeah. Um, so that was another, yeah, big boost for us this year that we were able to do that. <clears throat> I suppose buying other kit as well, we sort of, um, yeah, we, we we would only buy it if we could justify it. So I think we were, <laughs> yeah, tight shop 
shopping list. It's easy to <laughs> it's easy to buy nice shiny, shiny toys. But I think yeah, if we can help justify it, like we bought a um, telehandler as well, and but we only bought that after we knew that we had you know a, a B and B pig contract. Um, so that helped justify that, and we would be lost without without the telehandler now. It's, it's the machine that's used the most. <laughs> you know, we hire in tractors at the moment. You know, at busy times of the year, and that seems to be working really well. And we don't have that that overhead cost. Um, I suppose throughout the year, it's just for a couple months of the year when we need it, sort yeah. of at harvest time and getting getting things back in the ground. And what would you say the biggest learning curve for you both has been taking on this farm? I think it's just, I think being resilient, <laughs> just having that bounce back ability. You know, some days, you know, things don't go to plan and it's just like chin up, you know, we'll get through it. Yeah. Um, and the next day, you know, it's always better. We wouldn't change it for the world. You know, it's, it's a life we love and a job we love. Um, but yeah, there is, there is that day's. And I think maybe just as well managing the you know the finances as well. So it's all good and well, you know, we can do it on a spreadsheet, but actually, practically, what happens when you know cash flow at this time of the year is really tight? Um, you know, how can we you know make it work? So I think it's that practical, that practical knowledge as well. Um, I yeah, think. but that just comes, you know, I think years of experience doesn't it yeah exactly yeah and what would your top tip be for any listeners that are maybe hoping to take on a tenancy of their own one day I think it would be just speak to people and and make as many connections you know the agricultural community you know it's so close-knit that yeah you know everybody sort of knows everybody within the local area so if you you know speak to speak to farmers speak to land agents you know speak to solicitors speak to bankers they're sort of the people that will hear of opportunities first I think everybody sort of thinks that there's no opportunities out there um or very limited but you can get in the mix a bit and people start knowing your name and you know um so I think I think that would be a big one as well and really just yeah know your know your figures and um, yeah, go for any opportunity that you think think would work yeah. yeah yeah that's pretty sound advice when we um first started out we literally just went knocking on strangers doors yeah. and and you'd be amazed how many people are keen to help or they want to help or you know yeah. they, they want to get involved but I think you just have to really go out there and find them rather than I don't know, sit Googling and hoping that you'll find something. I know, yeah. And, yeah, even write letters or, you know, phone yeah. calls, just what, just whatever. And I think as well having that, having relationships with, you know, other, prof- you know, professionals like, like bankers and solicitors, you know, it will help you when you're putting together a, a tender as well. You know, they'll have that sort of relationship with you that they that they know that they can trust you as well and they know you know what you want out of business or you know of life yeah yeah that's important too yeah definitely hi i'm natalie wood yara's country arable agronomist and i'm here to talk about ammonia emissions now ammonia is a big problem in the uk with 88 percent of emissions coming from agriculture of that 23% 23% are coming from fertilisers, so what can you do to reduce those emissions? Nitrate fertilisers have less than 3% ammonia emissions, therefore switching from urea to AN reduces ammonia emissions by 10 times. If using urea treated with an inhibitor, then the emissions from that are still double those from nitrates. Therefore, if you want to have some of the lowest ammonia emissions, use Yarabella Axan. For more information, please visit yara.co.uk. Thank you, Harriet. It's great to hear your story. And I think it's really interesting the way that you guys have made it work around your full time job. And you know, you're making full use of the buildings, you're doing machinery shares, which is something that any young farmer could do. You don't have to just do it with your family. A lot of farmers are doing that now anyway, to save costs. So yeah, good stuff. Thank you.
Next up, we've got James Edmondson from the east coast of Suffolk. And at the tender age of just 21, he has his own contracting business, a fleet of farm machinery, a loyal customer base, and he already employs two people in his business. Hi, James. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Alice. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. So best place to start is probably from the beginning. How did you get into farming? Are you from a farming background? or uh, Farming is something that has been on and off in my family for uh, quite a long time. My parents, uh, Debbie and Patrick, run a, a livery yard, um, which is, you know, not not agricultural necessarily, but certainly rural. Yeah. So um, that was obviously a, a good way. I've had family, friends, contacts through my family, which has been very, very helpful, I must admit. However, that's not to say that it's impossible for other people wanting to do what I do to get contacts because, you know, farmers, agricultural people are just humans in the end and they they will talk to whoever they think is um, sorry to talk to if they think that someone's going to, you know, be a a success or they want to help someone, then they will. Yeah, and I guess once you sort of get in there, your name starts being... um... Absolutely, that's something that I found is... That um, when I first started off, I wasn't, you know, people did, some people knew who I was. And, um, you know, several years later, I now have main dealers ring me up quite often saying, oh, would you like to buy this? Or I've, I've had Ernesto uh, family ring me up this week and say, oh, your name is on a list of people that we've been told to contact about buying new machinery potentially. And um, it's something that definitely does uh, spread quickly, is a, a good reputation, I think. Yeah. So, James, you're pretty young, 21, nearly 22. So when did you actually start the business? Um, I mean, I've been sort of... I started off, I bought a uh, an old international tractor and a hitch cutter for about £2,500, and I started doing that when I was still at school. So i um, been, Christ, I don't know, six years ago, seven, oh, okay. six years ago. So, um, and then... I mean, obviously, I registered my business officially when I was 18 because you can't set up a business account without uh, before you're 18. So I suppose when I was 18, I officially started. I bought my first big, more expensive-to-me tractor, um, and I, I I went de-stoning with it. I carted potatoes. I went and carted grain. I, I did everything and anything I could. I made, I made hay. Um, I still carried on hedge-cutting. And how was getting your name out there and sort of finding your first customers? How did you find that? It's quite a competitive market being a contractor now, I feel. Okay. Because there's, there's a, there are several people out there who do it. Um, and it becomes difficult when people start undercutting because you get to a point where you're driving the price down so much that it's almost impossible to make money out of it if you're charging so little. Um so finding a niche is something that I think is important so that you aren't, um, you know, you're not running with everyone, as it were. Yeah. So what's your niche? Um, I mean, I would say my niche is... Uh, <laughs> my niche is actually, I would say, that I'm capable of carrying out almost any task. Um, so I'm very flexible. I feel that I have the capability with the help of the people that are involved with me to carry out, for example, hedge cutting, muck spreading, baling, and then also other farms will recruit me and tractors to carry out um, root crop vegetable work or arable work, you know, field prep, harvest um, operations, uh, anything. And, I mean, also on top of that... um, Hiring machinery out is something that's becoming a more um, common thing for me. So I've currently got uh, one of my traps out on um, lease hire to someone else. Um, we've got trailers for hire. And it's, it's, it's something that's becoming a growing market, I think. Yeah. So you started with one tractor. What's your I fleet like now? Um, I, to be fair, I've got two tractors now. And I'm about to pay to purchase a third. Um, I've got uh, trailers, balers, mowers, ploughs. Um, so it's it's something that's progressively growing, you know, quite quite quickly for me anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's very good going. Well, thank you. I am uh, sort of, hopefully it's not going to stop anytime soon. No, definitely not. I mean, I keep hearing there's sort of growing demand for contractors and going forward it's going to be... I do believe that there is a growing demand. However, finding someone, you know, there, there are a lot of people who do man and tractor and a lot of those fulfil the role of people uh, carrying out, say, for example, carting. I know that a lot of people... Um, will haul uh, maize and rye silage for anaerobic digesters. And um, that is something that there will always be a demand for because it's very seasonal work and it's much cheaper for a farmer to employ a self-employed contractor with a tractor and trailer for, say, six weeks of the year rather than have to either buy or lease or hire a tractor for three years on a rolling deal or 12 months and use that for six weeks of the year for their main bread and butter and then have to try and utilise it for the rest of the year, as it were. Yeah. So I think it is definitely a growing requirement for contractors. Yeah. And do you struggle with, like, the seasonality of it all or do you find where you're doing sort of root crops and stuff that there is work pretty much I all year round? I find root crops make it much easier. I find root crops make it much easier to... You know, with root crops, you can you can quite happily start doing stuff in January, and you can go right the way up until Christmas. Um, you know, you can be you can be drilling parsnips in January, and also harvesting parsnips in January. Yeah, and that will carry on. And then once you've finished drilling your parsnips, you can go on to you know the start of planting potatoes, which is obviously a big operation out on the east coast. So there's destoning to be done, there's heavy cultivations to be done, there's planting operations to be done. And then on top of that, also, from September through till March, you've got hedge cutting as well. So I purchased a quite nice new hedge cutter from Ernesto Malsford this year, um, which is the nicest one I've ever bought. And I've done, you know, quite a, lo- a lot of work with that. Or my chap, uh, Ricky, has. He's done an awful lot of work with that this year. And that's kept my second tractor going from... September all the way through until now, you know, still hedge cutting to be done. Yeah, there's a lot of barriers to entry, I would say, in in farming in general, um, but also in what you're doing, um, in terms of sort of finances, and you've spoken about finding your first customers, but how did you finance your machinery, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I'm absolutely fine. I, um, on top of working, I, when I was 16, I worked... I, was, I got seasonal jobs in between being at school. I um, also I did inherit a, you know a small amount of money which I used to put the deposit down on my first tractor, which again was very advantageous. Yeah. In my on my behalf, um, and then from there on, as I managed to earn more and more money, I managed to accumulate money and um, buy more and more machinery. Yeah. And I mean, finance finance is a funny thing because as long as you're you can prove that you have a potential of earning. It's it's not an impossible thing to do. So, uh, and on top of that, it's something that you have to be totally honest with. So, as long as you haven't ever defaulted on anything or you have, you know, a relatively good credit score, it's not so difficult to get. However, it takes quite a long time to, you know, build up the ability to borrow money to buy um, over hundred thousand pound tractors. Yeah, I can imagine. So, so like my first tractor I started off with was a £2,500 tractor, and then I progressed to a £5,000 tractor, and then I bought a £25,000 tractor, and then I bought a £40,000 tractor, yeah. and then I bought an £80,000 tractor, and then I bought a £100,000 tractor. Yeah, it's all about progression. Exactly, yeah, and I did it in small steps, and I'm still doing it in relatively small steps. I'm not doing massive, massive jumps. Yeah, Just, you know, to be to be safe, safe rather than sorry. Yeah, because we actually rent our tractors, and I think a lot of people don't realise that that's an option. You know, when they're putting together a business plan, because yeah. we're very seasonal. Um, yes, and now we're sort of, and you also know your costs, and then yeah, know. and you've kind of got the support of the dealer and stuff, um, exactly, which is always handy. But that, I must admit, again, that was another thing that I thought was very important. My first tractors. Up until about my fourth tractor, didn't I didn't buy them with manufacturer's warranty. However, the last three tractors have had manufacturer's warranty, and that has made all the difference. So that's um, a bit of advice for everyone listening. Absolutely. I would say, 
as soon as you can afford a tractor with or, or a machine with good manufacturer's warranty, then I would really urge young people to consider it um, because I really do think it's very important. So for the final question, what would your top piece of advice be other than the warranty for anyone that's thinking of you know setting up their own contracting business or just being their own boss in general i think determination actually i think it's 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 good to have goals to achieve and if you say in 12 months time i want to be here or i want to have this much money or i want to have bought this or i want to be in charge of this i think it is really important to have a specific target that you want to reach at either 12 monthly intervals or six monthly intervals or you know biannually I, I think it really is important to have a target and a goal what's that saying be flexible on details but firm on your vision so know yes, what you want but be flexible in how you're going to get it <laughs> Exactly, like you know, you know what you want to get to, and everything in the middle is, um, you know, it's flexible. It's something you have to adapt to. Yeah, exactly. And that seems like a pretty good note to end on. Thanks, James. All right, Alice. I'll speak to you soon. Now for our final guest. Obviously, agronomy is a great route to go down if you love being out on farm. Becoming a qualified agronomist is also a great way to create a role for yourself on your family farm or maybe just give you that really in-depth knowledge for another industry-related job you're thinking of pursuing. Now, I'm very pleased to have Morvan Anderson here with me and she's going to tell us about her love for science, her route into agronomy and the Hutchinson's training programme. Hi, Morvan. Hi Alice, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Good. So, Morvan, I feel like agronomy isn't really a career path that's ever really promoted that much at school, despite the fact it's deeply scientific. So, what was it that attracted you to agronomy in the first place? In truth, I'm not sure whether I would have known of agronomy as a profession myself had it not been um, for my dad. Um, so my dad is actually an agronomist himself in his own right and that's how I knew of the profession going forward and funnily enough I guess I kind of rebelled a little bit at the idea of like following in his footsteps too much Um, but I had a really strong interest in biology so went and studied that as a degree up at Aberdeen University Um, and slowly I just I kind of came around to the idea and my my interest I guess in soil and plant science and it just it developed onto that really nicely to the extent that agronomy just seems like the perfect role. Yeah. And now you're on the Hutchinson's training program, which is probably the most sort of comprehensive agronomy training program in the UK. So how did you get onto that from your your biology degree? So at the end of my biology degree, I got the chance to go to Malaysia to and carry out a research project that was looking at greenhouse gas emissions from an oil palm plantation um, in an area called Sarawak. And this area was giving off high levels of nitrous oxides, primarily due to the applications of urea fertilizer. Um, so that straight away was a, a connection across to agriculture, because obviously we know that urea is a, a major product that's used in the UK as well. Yeah. Um, and I just find myself reading more into agriculture in general after conducting that research project um, and I I decided to go and do a master's then at Harper Adams and Hutchinson's was so well spoken about at Harper Adams um, I just found myself researching it more and more and inevitably I just I found that the foundation program was the perfect option for me really. Yeah that's such an interesting journey so now you're on the program what exactly does it entail? So a real mixture of things, really. The the foundation takes people from all walks of life, I guess. You could come from a farming background or, like myself, you might just have an interest in farming. Um, basically, it caters for all abilities and backgrounds. So in that way, they do build you from the ground upwards. Um, they make sure that everyone has the same basic scientific understanding of agriculture um, and then they also develop your technical knowledge much further. There's so many different technical specialists in the company and each contributes to your training. 
um, whether that's in basic biology or anything into pesticide technology and application methods. So did you sort of shadow the company's other agronomists and what was the divide like in terms of um, learning in the classroom and learning in the field? Yeah, I guess I would say at the at the start you do spend a bit more time um, learning in terms of tuition, but more and more you then get the opportunity to actually put the theory into practice and that's one of the better things about agronomy as a job option, that you're you're always out in the field and actually putting that knowledge into practice. Um, me, myself, I was really lucky that I had a, a whole group of colleagues up in the north that I was able to go out with. Um, and you'll find that every agronomist does their role differently. So from my perspective, it was really great to be able to experience that that varying those varying degrees of the job. Yeah. Um, and to take, take bits from everyone, I guess, and almost like allow that to evolve my own or my own stance in terms of agronomy yeah and I guess with a company like Hutchinson's you can sort of choose your own path a bit so you've got a bit of background in potatoes but someone might choose fresh produce or arable so do you plan to focus more on one specific area going forward well for starters I'd probably I'd describe myself as a rather knowledge hungry person and I mean my background degree was in biology and I really like having that scientific understanding for everything that I do yeah um, therefore I'm always trying to understand the technicalities between behind each product and the reason why it should be applied and how it might work and all those different factors that are at play before I make any kind of decision um, and that's really where I guess I want to go with my agronomy making sure that I have that technical knowledge and expertise to know that I'm doing the best job that I can um, and to, to make sure that, that's, that the decision is the right call at the end of the day. And I would hope that my role would uh, gradually evolve into a bit more of a technical role going forward. And you sort of answered this in, your, in the last question, but what do you think makes a good agronomist? I think one that's not afraid to, to go against maybe the, the general opinion, um, one that's willing to take a little bit of a risk in terms of their decisions so not necessarily always going for what is commonly commonly used commonly applied um and always just keeping up to date with everything i mean we're at the stage in agriculture where everything's changing anyway yeah i think it's becoming more and more important to always be reading and keeping up to date with um new uh, new research that's coming in so yeah just making sure you're ahead of the game really and i mean I would consider the role of the agronomist as to being able to almost read through this constant influx of information and just basically sift through that and filter down through to the farmer what really is important. Yeah, definitely. So if you love science and you love being outside, then be an agronomist. That's brilliant. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm afraid that is all we've got time for for today. But I hope you really enjoyed hearing our guest stories as much as I did. And as Johnny said at the beginning, in not so many words, sometimes it can feel like an impossible dream, but farming is an industry for everyone. See you next time.